Good morning. It's Good Vibes with Jason B. Um, today's uh, Debt Management Episode 3. It's Tuesday. It's March 6th. Um, and I wanted to get started. Last week I briefly talked about student loans, and that would be the title of this segment. Now, um, I have student loans. I have about $52,000 in, in student loan debt. And uh, it's not been easy to manage because, you know, like all our other debts, student loans must be paid or it severely hurts you more than than most other things if you let them get to default. Um, what default means is basically you have not, ta- not taken no steps to pay your, your student loan back, debt back. But there is hope. But let's go over some of the statistics right now. Um, I was just listening to a podcast about debt and a, a, from somebody else, and they were talking about the ratio of default going on here in the United States. And it's like they call it the ticking time bomb right now. As we once faced in 2008 with the real estate boom, uh, the student loan thing has gotten way out of control. And just a little brief history. Now, when Obama took office, uh, he definitely wanted to so-called retool America like we were, you know, I, I forget, ranked like 12th in, um, in the world's mathematics, um, and our school system was like ranked 39th, so the education of the average worker was substandard to current uh, manufacturer production and other methods of, uh, of commerce. So he set out to uh, help student loans, relieve the pressure, and offer, you know, f- let's just say almost free tuition for the college level, the community college, you know. So they offered some dividends and some supply, basically, and funding. But the problem was is there's there was a huge boom in the last 10 years, or I, I, actually I'd say 15 years, of these technical schools. Now, these technical schools can range from uh, anywhere from, what was it, ITT Tech to, um, I don't want to say MTI College. They weren't one of them, but uh, Westhouse College, um, and so forth, a lot of these little dinky uh, technical schools that offered to get people into, say, like if they wanted to become a nurse's assistant or a computer programmer or a paralegal. So they they kind of just blew up all over the place. And what happened was they created this, people were, were like they couldn't find no jobs. The jobs of the old production were scarce and people weren't being paid enough. So the cost of living was so high, even 12 years ago, you know, we were recovering, you know, and or we are going through the peak of what's happened in 2008. So um, anyhow, so people went back to school, but um, a big problem. Without government really checking or really skewing who they would allow, like where education funds should be allowed to go to, they um, they were finding out that a lot of these colleges were substandard and charging thousands of dollars per unit for uh, a student to go to school. And 
a lot of times they promise, well, we'll help you find a job afterward. And that was the language at the time. Well, they started finding out that a lot of these students couldn't find work to begin with, you know. And these schools are still around. I call them predatory education institutions because they're preying upon, you know, occupations that are no longer going to be needed. Like, for example, if you're into medical records, not that I want to badger you, but if you're getting an education in medical records, yes, it is helpful. Medical administration is helpful, but you're going to need more than that. You're going to be need to have more computer networking like Cisco systems handy more to you than, um, than the average medical training because I work with medical records a lot of time in my field of work, and they are outsourcing to third parties. A lot of hospitals are hiring someone cheaper from another state to facilitate a lot of their work. So they reduce their labor force in the medical field, so to speak. And these people are finding out, well, I've got, a, I got a, an associate in medical uh, administration and medical records keeping. How do I find a job? And a lot of them are finding jobs. You know, sometimes they're reverting to substandard jobs they didn't want to do or intend to do, which is, you know, hey, it's a will to survive, you know. But, again, so these predatory schools, as I call them, they created this influx. Like, for me, um, I went I went to an MTI college, and uh, I actually am very grateful that I went there in Sacramento, and in it was a paralegal program, and I'll tell you what, it was the hardest program I've ever had to deal with. Next to law school, it's it's up there. You know, you got to be sharp and you got to be on top of it. So, um, but what we I found out as I graduated, um, it was hard to find a, a job as a paralegal, and you know, and. To me, in my mind, I guess maybe the fantasy was the paralegal is better than a legal secretary and gets paid more. Well, in the Central Valley, there are diamond dozen, so they can be paid minimum wage and yet be billed out for so much hard work. But anyway, those, these are just life examples. So getting back to the main point of student loans, now you have several avenues of relieving your student loan debt. You can do consolidation loans, which I highly suggest you take some time to research those, you know, especially for your unsubsidized loans and your subsidized loans. And what a subsidized loan basically is, is that it's a loan that keeps accruing interest, but you're paying, you're supposed to be paying back. And and excuse me if I get this wrong or backwards, because sometimes I do get that. But an unsubsidized basically means that your interest does not start until you stop six months after you start stop school. You know, so one is based on we need to pay back like pretty quickly or pay back while you're in school, and the other is. Uh, you know, you can wait, you know, take time. Now, the way to say, look, your budget doesn't allow you to really um, 
pay back these loans at the suggested rate. So say like my suggested rate to pay back of, of a student loan payment would be, I think it was 150 for my unsubsidized and 700 for my uh, subsidized loan. So that's 700 a month. So that's like almost $1,000 out of my income every month to go towards paying student loans. Now, you can negotiate with your lenders. Um, you have a loan officer or a loan specialist. Everyone who has a student loan, they can talk to this person and create strategies for yourself. So the first avenue that you can do, say like you can't pay right now, and you need probably about six months to a year, you can have what's called deferment. A deferment basically says that you're telling your lender that you can't pay right now, and they'll hold off all the payments for now, but your interest still accrues, and once it keeps going, it, your payments don't start again until you start working, you know, or whatever, but there's a catch to it all. All that accrued interest just stacks up over those months of the total loan amount, so say like if you got the combined loan of fifty-two thousand. Well, I think I think the student loan interest mine was like one point five. I think I could be wrong. I'm not sure, but one point five percent on top of fifty-two thousand dollars every month. It it gets up there, and you let it go by a year. You expect to add probably another. 4000 or 5000 by the end of the year. So, you know, but it's like, okay, well, wow. Now, um, there's some other methods. Now, Obama did do one thing. So, say, like, he was trying to find the default right rate. So, he created a program where the government would pay back what you couldn't, you know, when you're trying to restructure your loans. And I forget the name of the program right now. But I'm on the road, but I'm letting you know it's out there. You can call your lender and basically talk to them say, hey, I have a household of five. I only make about 40000 a year. And they're going to calculate what they can do. And they'll offset your payments and tell you this is how much you got to pay and this is how much they'll pay for you. There's another trick that I don't suggest to everyone, but... Say like you work for a nonprofit agency. You know, you're donating your time and you have that ability to be able to do this. But uh, you go and you work for a nonprofit, you don't have an income, and you can write off your loans after I think it's like seven years of working for a nonprofit a non-profit agency, you're donating your time. So there's those other avenues. But anyway, so student loans, they can they can be really nasty because they're not the, the status of the student loan is you cannot claim it on bankruptcy unless you're 150% insolvent. And that, that was created by uh, George Bush Jr. So um, when they restructured the the way that bankruptcy works at the, at those times, you know, in the early 2000s, um, student loans 
were to be left out, they, you had to pay them back no matter what. But the catch is, they say 150% insolvent. Now, you can, it's, I don't think that's unreasonably, unreasonably hard to get to because if you're only making 40000 a year and you're in charge of five people, you have no ex, extra income. You don't have no room for assets. So proving that you're 150% insolvent, that means you're only, you can't even sustain your regular life basically, and then a half life, and you're in charge of, you know, half a whole household. So the the key step strategies are talk to your loan companies, negotiate with them. Do not ignore their notices. And I say this heavily because they are willing to work with you. Like I'm working with a company called Navient. I'm also working with another company called uh, NowNet, and they have been more than gracious to help me out in my paperwork and more than gracious to help me strategize how to aggressively pay my loans back. So, again, this debt management, you know, strategy or lifestyle is a lifestyle. So you got to understand that once you're going through this amongst your other debt, it is key to negotiate with your lenders so that you can work with your other debts. So remember what I told you last episode, the last couple episodes, your psychology is key. You know, if you're not making enough, you've got to find a way to make enough or, and become happy about doing it. But it's like, again, this is something a whole family needs to go through. This should not discourage you on uh, what you're trying to achieve but when you're teaching your children and growing up and you don't have a college fund set up for them, this is what I, I would do. If I were to be able to tell myself, if I was my mom and dad, and, and to tell me, I would tell them, go to a public school as much as you possibly can. Go to a state college. You know, find one that fits you. Keep the cost as low as possible. Borrow as least as possible but work through your college experience. And this mentality will help teach your kids much, much more, you know, because they'll learn the sense of the dollar. So if you're not buying objects to entertain yourself all the time, you're actually talking with them and strategizing. And this is another problem in the United States. Most most kids in high school, they don't know what they want to become. They walk out of high school completely confused, and the only thing they're ever told is, go to school, you'll be able to figure it out. I beg to differ. If you're not starting from their freshman year on, you're creating a handicap for these kids of knowing the direction they should be going. Once you start their freshman year, these are are the times where guidance is careful, and you may be tired, you may be overworked. But go over professions that have growth, even from the freshman year on. So by the time they reach graduation, they have something to work for. Now, here in California, what I've told a couple of kids mentoring is uh, I would suggest if you don't want to join the military, that's completely fine. Go join the California Conservation Corps. Beautiful project for teenagers to young adults you know, um, or 18 and up, and they work on 
from forestry to uh, city uh, cleanups and all kinds of different things. And you ba- basically live on these campuses, and they work, and they get college credit. They they get a credit towards paying tar- towards their tuition for a part of their pay. So they get paid a wage, and they also get something paid towards their college education, which is key because, to me, I don't give a crap whether you went to Harvard, Northwestern, UCLA, U- USC, Pepperdine, just to name a few universities that are pricey to go to. It doesn't matter where you go to college at, really. It's, you know, when you go to the graduate part where, like for me, it was law school, law school is a huge expense. It's a $100,000 expense for me. But, again, you know, it's because this is something in a direction I wanted to go, and I'm sticking with that commitment. And that's teaching your kids the commitment, too. So as you're going through your debts, you know, you figured out how to get out of the payday loans or predatory loans. Um, You figured out what are my needs and necessities, what do I have, does what I have today sustain enough so that I can start strategies of savings. You know, and then you got the student loan issue. It's, It's a pretty big, you know, it's a big task. It's a monster. And this is why people, a lot of times, they just ignore their debt and like, fuck it. And then when they get their wages attached, they're just like, what do I do now? And is it too late? It's never too late. It's never too late to fix your situation. I don't care how old you are. And, and I don't peddle that unless I, I mean it. You know, like they're saying, uh, investors are saying, if you haven't started working on your retirement in your 20s, you're going to be at a definitely disadvantage. Yes, you will, but it doesn't mean it's over. And that's the thing is, like, as much as these credit counseling places try to advocate, like, work on this now and create the fear, they're not giving the people the strategies of how to treat their situation or circumstance while they're in it, like in their 40s, like myself. Now, I don't plan to stop working until after I'm 70. I don't know if I have the, hopefully I still have the ability. But I enjoy working. But it's just like, at the same time, I'm telling all my kids, look, don't expect no big daddy college fund. You're going to work for it, just like I had to. The advantage they have is maybe I can give them a careful guidance into getting into a career craft that will make them money and not be outsourced by AI or other technological feats. So, yeah, anyhow, debt management, you know, student loan debts. Oh, and that's another thing on student loan debts. There are parents that that co-sign, and I've seen it where they get stuck with with their, their kids' debt. And my aunt is one of them. She married a guy who has severe... You know, his wages are attached. And his son takes no no ownership of it and doesn't even work in the field he went to college for. This is a shame, you know, because they're suffering. So that's also something to consider when you're when you're sending your kids off to school, what loans you're signing them up to 
and what is the clear understanding that they're only signing for a part of this, and you can negotiate uh, your participation. So, anyhow, this is Debt Management Episode 3, I believe. Um, It was kind of vague a little bit, but that's okay. I just wanted to give the surface of an idea. Next week, I'll be clarifying more with more firm understanding and knowledge and research of other ways that we can attach the, attack the student loan debt and money management in the household. I'd like to go over that next week of um, budgets in the household. Um, they can how they can work wonders for you. Well, thanks for listening. Have a great day.